podcast this week, we're joined by the star of their finest. Yes, it's our finest. Gemma Arterton's going to be in the pod booth, plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. It got two hours sleep last night and is fading pretty fast. Need a shot of adrenaline. Quick, to the Thor Ragnarok trailer. Whew, that did it. Uh, hello, pod. I'm a sleep-deprived Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Emperor Podcast, which this week is brought to you by those mustard peeps at mustard.co.uk who do cool stuff with insurance comparison and whatnot. Check out their website at mustard.co.uk in case you hadn't already guessed. Uh, this week, Helen is still away. She's actually on the other side of the world now. She's about to em- embark upon this crazy running expedition, running 100 miles across mountains and things being people are going to be throwing snakes at her it's going to be it's going to be awful uh, so she's been doing that for the next 10 days or so over in Nepal and uh, you can sponsor her she's got a um, just giving page or something virgin money page fundraising page uh, she's uh, fundraising for the NSPCC uh, so if you want to go on that page it's on the internet <laughs> I don't, I don't, nailing this I don't have the URL to hand I didn't write it down I'm just riffing in this bit. But anyway, Helen's away. She's doing something amazing for charity. Uh, so if you want to sponsor... If you Google Helen, gone to Nepal, probably won't be back. Yetis. That'll come up. That would be appreciated. So in Helen's absence, we've upped the sausage steaks. Uh, I'm now joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning uh, as we head into this Easter weekend. First up is our art house guru, a man who's going to spend the weekend hunting for Easter eggs in Werner Herzog's movies. Because apparently if you pause it at the right moment in Fitzcarraldo, you can see the yawning maw of pointlessness that is <laughs> the human existence. <laughs> is that right, Phil Dissimlin? I believe that's, that is correct. That is correct. It's yeah. true. Yeah, it's true. no, yeah. it's true. Also, it's you can true. see a little RTD too. <laughs> no, no, you can't. That's stupid. That's stupid. How are you? You all right? Good. Very good, well. Good. Yeah. You glad to be Why back? Why are you so tired? I, uh, I, I, I don't know why Buck I'm so tired. Up. I didn't, I, I was out late last night Were and you? I got, yeah, I got in and I didn't get to sleep until two o'clock and then I woke up at four o'clock and I couldn't get back to sleep. After Hitting that. the tiles as you do. Well, I, had, I had three cokes last clubbing. night. Clubbing. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting out my Coke consumption. And say, listen, not a media wanker version of Coke. This is actual Coca Cola. Uh, I, I, I drink a lot of it yep. and I'm running. Yeah. Yes. Now these Things days. Things are changing. Uh, I'm changing my diet slowly and I'm cutting out the Coke. And so last night I had quite a few and I think it, it, the adrenaline mm. surged through me. You resisted a trip to McDonald's yesterday as well, which I was very impressed by. You've changed, man. Well, yeah. I saw you bouncing coins off your pecs. <laughs> I, saw, I saw you. It's like, where do I begin in the rock ends? <laughs> but enough of that fan fiction. image. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've started already. Uh, next up, you just heard him, is our other resident dissemblian. He's a Jurassic Park nut and Jurassic World star, as he never tires of reminding us. Uh, he's going to spend the weekend trying to get some interesting eggs to hatch. But you know what? You're never going to find a raptor in the Smarties Easter egg. Nick dissemblian, how are you? Do you know what my favourite colour Smarty is? <laughs> blue. Because blue's a raptor. <laughs> it's genuinely good. Blue, of course, is your co-star in Jurassic World. Can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> oh, the film is out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Any more questions? Should be any more questions? Via yeah. his, via his publicist. Yeah, don't look Nick in the eyes. Whatever you do, don't worry. His vision's based on movement, so uh, <laughs> we should be fine. Uh, and last but not least, we're joined by uh, someone. And we were talking about this beforehand, weren't we? Um, John Nugent. Hmm. That you don't really have a defined podcast persona I'm without any personality yeah you were or, utterly or bereft of characteristics I'm totally generic <laughs> <laughs> 
You're a very dull man. I'm incredibly boring. Yeah. I, I thought you were the career crusher. <laughs> yeah, but that, well, no. that, that, that ran, we, we ran out of steam fairly quickly. Then you became, I was away for a week, and you became some sort of entity. How was that, that, that run out of steam? But like, <laughs> <laughs> our ones just rumble on. In Ours ran out of steam a long time ago. So this is your chance. Well, I, you I quiet poddle. Rage killing, yeah. rage fueled career killer. I, I want to stake a claim as Empire's rock correspondent, which I know Nick kind of had a bit of a a, a territory over recently. But <laughs> I went, I, I went to Hawaii. Nick's just put down the script for Jurassic World Two, and he's suddenly in the game now. He's like his his radar's on. Come on, it's going to be a rumble. Yeah, the, the the thing is, The Rock has tweeted both of us, right? He has, but he tweeted to say that I was his bud. Yeah. And I felt that was a, a real a tr- olive branch of friendship. Well, you may be right, because I feel like I've had a falling out with The Rock. Yeah, I think... Because I, he, I think he it, our relationship <laughs> soured, because I, I, I made a reference to Thunderwear... But I spelt right. it like oh, th- lightning and thunder. Yeah. And he corrected me, or he corrected me very publicly, and mm. said it was Thunderwear, F-U-N. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been it's been deafening silence since then. <laughs> well, I, I candy know, ass. I think I'm a candy ass. The Rock gave me a bottle of tequila. <laughs> he he bequeathed me a bottle of his favourite tequila, which I took as a token of you know the inner circle of Rock. You're the new uh, Sean William Scott. <laughs> <laughs> In many ways. Are yes. You, are you expecting a cameo in Fast and Furious Nine? Not saying, of course, that he survives Fast and Furious Eight. Sure. You know, leaving it on the table. I'm hope. I'm still hoping for a sequel to Journey to the Mysterious Island. I, I think that's one of the Rock's more undervalued early, it's on our, early it's, works. It's on his IMDb page. Journey three, the moon, isn't it called? Journey. <laughs> to, it's called Journey, Journey to, to the moon, but with a number two, even though it's the third film. What? I don't know. Journey. Journey. Where would the three be in that? Would I be in Journey? Because it's the only. It's the only word in that that has. Oh, the Lee has. Live free or die moon. Um, <laughs> he's on his IMDb page. He's doing another one of those. Is that actually mm. happening? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that real? I think so. Will there be giant bees again? Will he ride <laughs> a giant so. bee? Okay. And a tiny ukulele. All right, so you're the rock correspondent for if the time it, being. Unchallenged. Sure. Pretty much unchallenged. I'm surprised by I that. I have a framed photo of the rock on my desk. I mean, what do I have to do? Okay. All right. Okay. Right, so I need to come up with an Easter egg thing. Okay. Uh, please welcome our... The rock correspondent, a man. Actually, I've changed my mind. I'm unhappy about this. (laughs) (laughs) He's not allowed to be the rock correspondent. You are the star of the fourth highest grossing film of all time. (laughs) Only the fourth. (laughs) Only the fourth. Oh my God, what a monster. I'm calling my agent. (laughs) You genuinely monster. I want off this podcast. Say it's the second. (laughs) Something terrible has happened to this podcast. E- clash of the egos. Oh it's the candy asses everywhere. Let's just let's just continue. The ego has landed. All right. So uh, please welcome our official, mm. the Rock correspondent. Thank you. A man who has uh, a picture of what I thought were two Easter eggs on his screensaver. <laughs> then I realised it was just a close up of the Rock's testicles. Will you please welcome oh. John Nugent? <laughs> I have a short notice. Yeah. That's not bad actually. That's okay. It's not bad. bad. Excuse me, you, you sit in the hot seat for mm. one week. Yeah, it didn't and go you well. think you can come in here and criticize me. Well. I, I was praising you. You think you can come in here you. and bust my balls. Okay, fine. And okay, okay. You're that's terrible. Fine. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> All right. Uh, right, should we deal with this week's question? Yeah. Yes. It's uh, via Twitter and it is from at underscore ringmav and he asks. 
Sergio M is his name. Uh, what is your favorite scene with lasers? They could be deadly, they could be risky, or they could be sexy. <laughs> sexy. Sexy risky lasers. Risky lasers. <laughs> All lasers are intrinsically risky, aren't they? Yeah, they can have your eye out. Sophisticated heat beam that we call a laser. <laughs> have you written this down? Yeah, I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Austin Powers. Amazing. Yeah. Laser. Laser. Um... Okay. Blade, laser, blazer. That's the greatest <laughs> laser scene. Yeah, that is a good scene. <laughs> From Dodgeball. From Dodgeball. Amazing. Um, so I'm just going to throw in one of the obvious ones straight away, Resident Evil, mm-hmm. in which Colin Salmon gets uh, turned into a smoked salmon. <laughs> by He, he, goes into <laughs> he spawned some kind his of, last. <laughs> he goes into a laser chamber. I think that's the technical He term. doesn't know it's a laser chamber when he goes into it in fairness. He thinks it's him. just, he's been told it's just a chamber. It's just a chamber. And Salmon, he, he loves a chamber, does Colin Salmon. You, you just, you know, it's the best way. If you want to kidnap Colin Salmon, just go, Psst, I, got a, I got a chamber. <laughs> is that why he was going to be in Bond for it's, a bit? Yeah. It's a chamber of secrets. The secret is that it's got lasers. And he gets... Uh, <laughs> He gets kind of sliced, and his bits of his face kind of slide off. It's, it's yeah. quite grisly. It's a bit ripped off Cube, yeah. that, that sequence, but... Homage. Homage. <laughs> Homage. It references <laughs> the mise-en-scene. Yeah. So the... Um, <laughs> the, the, um, the, well, the, the thing about that, because I watched the scene recently, mm, yep. okay? And uh, it's interesting because it, that the, um, the game does not play fair with Colin Salmon. So four people go in... I don't know if you remember the scene in Resident Evil. It's the best scene in the movie. Four people go into the chamber, and they think it's just a chamber. Then the Red Queen, who act, you know, controls mm. the hive under Raccoon City, she goes, ooh. And so she activates a laser, which, which comes along and cuts uh, one of the people in... Cuts, but, cuts off a guy's fingers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then another laser comes along at knee height. Yeah. And so they start... Um, jumping oh yeah someone gets decapitated and then there's three of them left and so the laser comes along at knee height and so a guy jumps to try and avoid it but the laser then goes up with him and cuts cuts him in half so then Colin Salmon it comes for Colin Salmon as well but being Colin Salmon he's able to outwit it because he's amazing and he grabs onto the ceiling and he leaps up and he and the laser goes underneath him just about and cuts off a piece of his knife and then it comes back again and this time it does what it should have done the first time which is it goes into that grid thing and he, there's no escape yeah. and then you know it, it gets shot off like a nanosecond after it slices him and dices him yeah I've just been playing the video game Horizon Zero Dawn and there's a scene which I think is inspired by this there's a, there's a level where you have to dodge dodge lasers in, in inventive ways in, wow so there we go inspired by this scene that's homaging did, another scene did you get sliced and diced? many times <laughs> Roger Rabert made that point actually that are we saying that this corridor of laser doom is, has got a sense of humour? Because obviously, if it had just unleashed the, yeah. the, 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 the lattice effect early doors, it wouldn't have had to faff around with the extra power that it needed to charge the other lasers, you know? <laughs> just sliced everyone in one go. But yeah. instead, it's kind of, I don't know, it's uh, a bit malicious. It'd be a much shorter film then, wouldn't it? True. Yeah. <laughs> you think they're just stalling for time? Doesn't it, it also comes back, the laser corridor comes back in uh, one of the other Resident Evils. Two, three, four, or five, yeah. or six. Okay. One of those, yeah. Mm-hmm. And nearly slices and dices. Mila Jovovich. Yeah. It's a kind of it's a classic like heist movie sort of trope, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I really like the scene in um, Wallace and Gromit, Wrong Trousers, where they they try and steal the crystal from a laser art gallery or something. It's yeah. laser security. Yeah, you know that's a good one. What about Laura Linney in Congo? Beg <laughs> your pardon. <laughs> Please explain. Laura Linney in Congo is confronted with an army of militarised um, apes. 
inside a volcano. Okay. It all makes sense in context. Yeah. All right. And she man- she sort of improvises a laser gun using a diamond that she just happens to find. That's pretty cool. Mm. I don't remember it. Do you know what? And then she Last. just... I remember Tim Curry's lasery. accent. Yeah. The yeah. Lost City of Zinji. <laughs> I think he's... I remember that and just, Amy, Amy! And just kill Amy. She's yeah. annoying. Uh, I remember um, Bruce Campbell being killed at the beginning and being really disappointed by yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good opening. Um, just going back to what John was saying, uh, heist scenes, there's obviously entrapment. It's mm. probably the most famous one. I believe that's what Sergio was referring to when he said, lasers can be sexy. Yeah, those are sexy lasers. Those are the sexiest lasers yeah. in cinema. And well, Just uh, to explain, yeah, it's a room full of... It's a, it's a trial run, is it, for something, with Sean Connery... Mm. Oh, he's he sort of lasers. Lasers. <laughs> he's been there before. He knows what they can do. Do you think someone who just hated Sean Connery just suggest put that script in front of him, knowing he'd have to say the word lasers? <laughs> Almost everyone in my life. You must surreptitiously slide through this <laughs> network of lasers. Who wrote this? Call <laughs> your chamber. Um, but yeah, that 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 scene is kind of spoofed a bit in Jane Silent Bob's Strike Back. I want to say. That one, right? You must watch yourself lest you get sliced and diced like Colin Shaman. I'm just going to call it a sophisticated heat beam from now <laughs> on, you fuckers. And Catherine Zeta-Jones has to... Shoot her. She has to contort herself into all she has to forms of... In a cat suit as cat well. Cat business. Leather cat suit. And every time it cuts back to Sean, who's watching her, he looks like a man who's just been confronted with his tax return. <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible kind of disconnect. But he probably had. He doesn't look... He is not funny at sexy. I'm not happy about this. Yeah. But I believe, I, believe that was, I believe the lasers were on the poster, which might be a first for that film. I believe. Ooh. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I'm going to put a shout in for Real Genius, which is uh, <laughs> a great 80s comedy with Val Kilmer. It's about uh, young kind of scientist type people who are a bit mm-hmm. anarchic. And uh, Val Kilmer's character uses a laser to pop popcorn in someone's house. He fills an entire house with popcorn mm-hmm. using a laser. <laughs> that's, that's just science. You can do that. <laughs> Amazing. That's cool. Has uh, no one going to mention lightsabers? No. Are they lasers? Is that a laser sword? Is that really laser lasers? Swords? Laser sword. The laser sword. What about what about the um, Ghostbusters? Uh, yeah, proton pack. It's a proton Is that laser? A laser. I don't know. <sighs> Scientists technically tell us. a proton beam. Uh, the best laser scene in history has to be Goldfinger trying to cut Bond right, right up the middle, hasn't it? Laser crutch, doesn't it? Yes. Please. No, another laser. <laughs> Why do I keep appearing in laser movies? <laughs> it split me right up the scrotum. <laughs> That is, <laughs> that is a good one. Lasers appear in Bond all the time. Yeah, it's sort of shorthand for yeah. evil genius who's invented something amazing. There's like a, which gets less impressive as everyone else has lasers. There's you know, a full-on laser fight in space in Moonraker. It's amazing. Yes. Well, it's they're, amazing. They're literally two shooting hours. guns with lasers, and it somehow seems like Star Wars. Only it's set in the present day in the seventies. It's quite strange. That's very much. Uh, uh, they were trying to cash in on Star Wars fever. I think yeah. with that one. Yeah, but. That fight, though, I mean, <laughs> unlike Star Wars, it doesn't end. It just keeps going. It's just Roger Moore. Yeah. That, that, f- that was the film in the Bondathon that broke me. I remember really? just having to leave and walk around the plaza on Oxford Street and then uh, coming back about an hour so later. And so it's breaking the rules of the Bondathon. Can we, I think we, can, we, can we reveal this 10 years we down the line, 11 years down the Cut line? Cut this out. Cut this out. No. Staying in. Nick's, Nick's and Bond, Nick's Bond shame. Club. I was metaphorically walking around the plaza. <laughs> <laughs> Moonraker will hit you at your weakest point, and it is, I think, one of the very worst of the Bond movies. Um, but John <sighs> makes a good point about that battle. Knowing how long it takes to get suited up to go into space, I mm. can't imagine 
that battle unfolded in anything under like four or five months, whilst all the troops had to have their helmets fixed. <laughs> go, guys, go! And it's four hours later, he's fitting his uh, yeah. his breathing apparatus. It does surprise me that Bond hasn't really, you know, dallied or you know, or tarried with lasers, has he? Really, over the years since then, that was well, Brosnan's laser watch. Brosnan, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also uh, Die Another Day. There's a few lasers used for cutting diamonds in the uh, Ice Palace, mm. as I'm sure we all remember. It's on the tip of my tongue constantly. Um, Tron? Yeah. Tron? Tron uses lasers? Does it? I think, yeah. So but <laughs> is there a scene that's better than yes. James Bond and the case of the toasted testicles? Yes. 2002 Brit social realist drama, Ali G Into House, <laughs> features probably my favourite laser scene and the only funny bit in the entire movie. In which is... They're breaking into a country house and it's got the entrapment style laser lattice security network. Yeah. And um, and Ali G gets his mate he goes into the laser room and he gets <laughs> he gets his mate to, to have it smoke on a bong and then use the <laughs> use the smoke to shot where the lasers are and then they proceed to like electro body pop across the room to Africa Bambata <laughs> I don't remember this have you not seen I it? don't remember this it's actually very funny at least I thought it was funny um, wow <laughs> Dave will you use your special skills to help us through the room the laser room <laughs> yeah it's so about they, all three of them go through like together doing like through the oh, wow. through the through the beams. You should see the shapes that Phil's throwing right now. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fresh. It's something to behold. It was dope. Um, Mission Impossible, possibly mm-hmm. the greatest set piece in the Mission Impossible series. If you don't count Sean Harrison inside a glass box. Whispering <laughs> um, in the box. Oh, God. Still in the box. Hey, oh God, what have I unleashed? Uh, but yeah, obviously he's heading into Langley, uh, Ethan Hunt, Sorry. and he's trying to get into that very high protected room and dodges lasers. And all manner of other things. Amazing. And then Austin Powers. We've got to mention the sharks with freaking laser beams attached to the head. <laughs> now, I can't remember if... Do you actually see the sharks? In, in Goldmember, you do. Do yeah. you see them in Goldmember? Yeah. Do they yeah. live up to that? No. That description? <laughs> Not really. Are they great whites or are they just small sharks? I can't remember. I thought they were yeah. sea bass. Yeah, but no, by, by, by Goldmember, I think he has the this, this oh, sharks with, right. with freaking laser beams attached to their foreheads. Yeah. Gotcha. Freaking gotcha. laser beams. Yeah. Gotcha. There's not that many sci fi's been mentioned. Okay. I'm not going to mention any, I'm just saying. Okay. Apart from maybe the day the Earth stood still, because Gort has like laser eyes. Doesn't it does, he? doesn't laser it? Eyes. War of the Worlds as well. The tripods kind yeah. of use lasers to They've got lasers. Yeah. explode people. Star Trek, they use lasers, don't they? To yeah. you know, kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to stun them. E- X Men, Cyclops, his, his eyes are basically lasers, right? Right? Yeah. Mm. Mutant lasers. In a the, sense. The Death Star. Tries to beam. Tries to beam. What do we call the the the, 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 space the weapon? The you know the Does beam, the energy beam. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's it's still Goldfinger. <coughs> it's oh. got to be Goldfinger, hasn't it? It's a bit. You know, it's the first time I ever really realized what a laser could do to a man. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Almost <laughs> do damage to their genitals. Almost. Yeah. And it's, then, yeah. 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 And then years later, some grilled salmon. <laughs> I'm hungry now. Uh, should we move on? I yes. think we nailed it. I think we nailed it. Um, the correct answer, yes. That was amazing. Uh, so if you have any questions that you'd like to be read out in the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch with us via all sorts of different ways. We're on Twitter uh, as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine, of course, and we're on email as well as podcast at Empire Online. Dot com. Uh, okay, time for this week's movie news. And um, yesterday, 
This is recorded on Thursday, so obviously something huge is going to break tonight ahead of uh, Good Friday and ahead of the Easter weekend. But yesterday brought two fairly big, juicy pieces of uh, casting news. First of all, there was uh, Jude Law being cast as Young Dumbledore, as the internet has already dubbed him Yumbledore, and um, Josh Brolin as Cable, which is a tidy piece of casting. Cable tidy. Piece of casting in Deadpool 2. Exciting cable news. Cable is very good. That's better than mine. There were rumours that David Harbour or Michael Shannon were going to play Cable. I think Stephen, at one point Stephen Lang as well. I think from Lang- Avatar. I think he was Langley. kind of campaigning for it. More actually, campaigning for it. Well, he was. He was tweeting about it, as I recall. Yeah, I think he was too old. I think that was the feeling, was that Cable's sort of more in his forties, early fifties, and he's kind of in his sixties now, isn't he? Do not doubt slang. <laughs> he can do anything. Yeah, yeah. slang yeah. can pay twenty I- years younger. I agree. Um, and Ron Perlman was also throwing his, his, his uh, what do you call it? Hat. That's the thing, you put in your head. Two hours sleep. Uh, his hat into the ring uh, mm-hmm. earlier on. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is a good casting. I mean, Michael Shannon seemed to be the front runner recently, but uh, Josh Brolin, Brolin, Brolin has um, has <coughs> has emerged from the pack. Yeah. Of course, to take um, on the role of Cable. Should we explain who Cable is first of all for people who don't necessarily it's a tough know? Tough thing. I've been reading up on. Have it. you? It's yeah. Pretty complicated. It's complicated, but the the essence is that he is the <laughs> okay. He is a warrior soldier from the future his name is Nathan Summers and he is the son of Scott Summers aka Cyclops and Madeline Pryor who is a clone of Jean Grey in the X-Men comics it's all very very complicated and then when he's born in present day he is whisked because he gets this techno virus that coats his starts to coat his body and poses a real threat to him and he gets sent to the future so he'll be fine and there he grows up to become uh, cable, and then something happens. I can't remember what. It brings him back to the present day, and he's this grizzled, hardened veteran with uh, laser eye, laser eye, and robot stuff all over the place. And uh, and he's he's a powerful, tough warrior, and he takes over X Force, which is a sort of militant wing of the X Men. And um, and then there's uh, and then and in the comics, he has evolved to have a double act, if you will, with Deadpool, and they have a very they had, you know, they have several Deadpool and Cable series in which Deadpool breaks the fourth wall and Cable does not. And they have a, a very testy relationship, which should provide a lot of comedy. And that's as far as I can say about that at the moment. But, um, yeah, he's an, an interesting character. I mean, it's it's particularly interesting because Josh Brolin is already in a Marvel film, mm-hmm. albeit a separate universe. He's, he's Thanos in the MCU. So that's kind of intriguing. I mean, Deadpool 2 could come out Almost around the same time as Avengers: Infinity War, uh, so we could see yeah, yeah, we could see Josh Brolin in two Marvel movies playing two separate. Of characters. course, he'll be, he'll be recognisable as himself with Cable with, yes. just, with the white hair and and whatnot. He'll be CG in Avengers. He won't be on a space toilet. He won't be on a. <coughs> well, he might be. You never know. Got a hot fact? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I'd okay. love to hear it. He's the second actor to play Thanos and another role in the MCU. Damien Poitier played Thanos in the Avengers before he was recast. Oh, the, the emotion capture person. Yeah. Yeah. 
and he played uh, one of Crossbones' henchmen in Captain America Civil War. That is a hot fact. That's a hot fact. That's, That's a hot fact. That is a hot fact. That's a hot fact. I've got another hot fact for you. Uh, Peter Dinklage is uh, also someone who's starred in the MCU and the X-Men movies because we know he's going to be in Infinity War. We don't know which role yet, but he's going to be in that. And of course, he was uh, uh, he was uh, Bolivar Trask in Days of Future Past. And Josh Brolin becomes... I mean, Jonah Hex is not, I think, officially part of the DCEU, but he is possibly the first person to play a role in the MCU, a DC comic book movie, and now uh, a, a Fox X-Men movie as well. Ryan Reynolds would have to appear in the MCU for that to count. I'm sure there's other people as Chris well. Chris Evans, of course. He was in Fantastic Four, which is technically the Foxy-verse, and then yep. he became Captain America. Yeah. So, you know, I saw some people <coughs> going yesterday, is this going to be a problem? Is Josh Brolin going to be in both these movies a problem? No! <laughs> But no, of course it's not going to be a problem. Idiots. Ryan uh, Reynolds uh, actually tweeted. Did you see his tweet? He, he tweeted, What the fuck, Fox? You can't play two <laughs> characters in the same universe. Josh Brolin was in Sicario and I was in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kind of think, knowing Deadpool as we do, you kind of think they're going to address it. Yeah. Like, maybe Deadpool will have a, a winky look to camera and yeah. break the fourth wall. There's got to be a Jonah Hex reference at some point. There's got to yeah. be something about space toilets. There's got to be, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. No, Josh Brolin seems like a it seems like a good pair up. Him versus Ryan Reynolds. Um, I think Josh Brolin has got the kind of the sense of humour. He's a very funny guy. I think he'll fit into this world very well. Mm. Um, tear some shit up. Yeah, there mm-hmm. were there were rumours that there's multiple film contracts. Mm. Where does this leave the big metal bloke? Uh, Colossus. Yeah, I don't know. And in uh, Rustin in the workshop. Negasonic Warhead. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to be in or not. I, you know. Okay. We shall see. But it's exciting. So Deadpool 2 seems to be coming together fairly quickly. They're, they're casting more and more. But that was the key one, I think. That was the key one. And then the other bit of casting news, of course, was uh, Jude Law as young Dumbledore in yes. Fantastic mm. Beasts 2. I've got a pun. Okay. Can I deploy it? You can. Dumbledore. Uh, I made that pun yesterday. No! I think I don't think we're the first to come up with that. I, I think if you Google, I don't think anyone has come up with if it. If you look it on Twitter and search Dumbledore, I think you'll find <laughs> quite a lot of results. Oh, John, <laughs> Tower of the Rock told you, <laughs> breaker of dreams. Uh, I wonder what I wonder what colour Dumbledore's hair is going to be because, as we all know, of course, Dumbledore dies. <laughs> God, that was awful. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm pretty sure no one's made that joke. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure nobody you, has. You Maybe you're the first. I've been mulling it over for, a, for a, almost a full day now. So this is Jude Law. You know, this is we knew that Dumbledore was going to be in this movie. Uh, it's been fairly heavily hinted at in the last one. Uh, it was confirmed a while ago. Um, I thought it would have been interesting to see whether they would have gone for someone like a Jared Harris, but perhaps he's too old, and perhaps it's also maybe it might have been too strange him playing yeah. a younger version of his uh, a, a role originated by his dad. I think this is decent casting. I googled uh, young Michael Gambon just to see if there was any resemblance, and there there wasn't. He's more of a really, young but, Richard but Harris. But a young Richard he? Harris, there is a yeah. bit of resemblance. He's got that sort of square jaw and, mm. and receding hairline a little bit. I do wonder if he'll have the long hair, if he'll have the mm. kind of the Dumbledore... Well, I mean, he's more, more beard than man anyway, presumably, yeah. so I, I don't think it particularly matters about... He may not even have a beard. Maybe. You don't know. Maybe. So presumably we'll, we'll be getting scenes with uh, Grindel, Johnny Depp's Grindelwald, mm-hmm. who um, I spoke to David Yates, the director, recently. He described what Johnny Depp is going to do in the next film as fruity. Um, and he's kind of been captured, so presumably he's going to be, it's going to be some kind of um, magical Hannibal Lecter yeah. sort of scenario. <laughs> That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Um, Dumbledore's uh, Clarice. But you do wonder at what point uh, Jude Law's presence in this, does it turn it into a Dumbledore film rather than a... Newt Scamander film 
and is that a bad thing necessarily I didn't particularly enjoy that character I didn't particularly enjoy that film but you know is this a way of bringing in the heavy hitters and well we know it's going to be largely set in Paris uh-huh. uh, we don't know a huge amount beyond that um, we David Yates said this next one will be more sexy mm. I think was the <laughs> maybe Jude Law is bringing the sexy <laughs> so, sexy yeah, Dumbledore that, that could be where it's coming from um, so are we going to see kind of cutting between what Newt's up to in Paris and what Dumbledore is up to elsewhere <laughs> who knows who knows we don't we don't have the are we going to be calling it sexy beasts <laughs> <laughs> and where to grind them I mean um, <laughs> oh god what do you have to go just that bit too far and then a lot further and then a bit more listen just because you've sat in the hot seat once mm, yeah. you can't just you just can't I, keep critiquing I can and I will no just do just what you normally do Phil. do what you normally do just log on to iTunes under an, an array of assumed names mm-hmm. and leave one star reviews <laughs> that's what you do how did you know you that's don't criticise me during do. the podcast <laughs> what do we think about Dolph Lundgren joining Aquaman um, I yeah I'm very excited uh, on a four year deal What? no what is oh the, uh, yeah Dolph Lundgren has joined Aquaman. But we don't know anything else about that. Very little. Could yeah. be playing a dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my first assumption. Um, Dolph Lundgren should be in more more big movies. He should, he should be. be. He should be. He should. He might be playing his sort of submarine captain guy the from Hail Caesar. Name well, I mean, more the submariner. Did you see his tweet after Trump got elected where he said uh, my real name is Dolphin Lundgren. Come join me, America, in my underwater paradise. Another terrible joke I've been beaten to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dolph himself Thanks, beat John. you to it. Yeah. Do, you think, oh. do you think that there was a mistake in the casting call? <laughs> We're looking for a dolphin to star in Aquaman. <laughs> He's going to be motion capping a dolphin. Ocean capture. Come on, get serious, people. He's playing King Nereus of the aquatic kingdom of Zebel. <laughs> <laughs> What did Beauti- I say that was funny? You think he plays beautifully what, negotiated? Who's going to be cast as Captain Birdseye? How do you pronounce that? Captain Birdseye would be amazing. Who's he playing? Uh, da, da, I just da, da, told da. you. Yeah, but you, you told this in a, in a way that was King Nereus Sebul. I'm saying Sebul. Sebul for that. He claims Mira as his own and he wants to kill Aquaman. Well, good luck, Aquaman. I know Jason Momoa is built like the archetypal aquatic brick shit house, but Dolph Lundgren. The guy who killed Carl Weathers' uh, character in the Rocky movies. Carl Weathers is alive and was sitting in this very chair a few weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Sure. Dolph Lundgren's got something about him. He's not playing He-Man. He's playing Seaman. <laughs> oh! That's, that's going to be my last that's bad joke. Um, that's, that's an original. <laughs> that's a, oh so, Transformers 5, uh, Transformers The Last Night, um, the, the trailer have, has just dropped. What do we think of that? Well, I... Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are robots. Had, there are explosions. Yeah. It's a tough one to There's get to sunsets. grips with. It's a tough one to get to grips with slightly. And I, I've seen about fifteen to twenty minutes of footage, and I'm still a little bit confused about King Arthur and what his role is. Not to mention the Nazis. Yes, they're holding the Nazi stuff back. I think the movie starts with a flashback to King Arthur, who is getting quite drunk. Um, that was the footage we were shown. Yeah, Merlin is is kind of, and, and then they show some some shots of the round table but there are transformers with big swords instead of knights so it implies that the knights were robots right um, and Anthony Hopkins whose character in the film seems to be the keeper of the law so we saw a film where Mark Wahlberg returning as Cade Yeager um, gets taken to see Anthony Hopkins in his kind of English stately home and Anthony Hopkins has got a, a robot butler called uh, Cogman Cogman I almost <laughs> said Cogsworth 
Ben Anthony Hopkins is is got a big library full of books, so he's very clever, and he's explaining the plot. And mm. I don't know where the Nazis come in, but we'll find that out. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, you know it was it was a trailer, and it had lots of things exploding in it, and uh, uh, they seem to be within the trailer setting up Optimus Prime as the kind of bad guy of the piece, and then in the same trailer going, no, he's a hero as well, and he's doing whatever I mean, he whatever it is that he does. He's done a Dominic Toretto, isn't yeah, he? He seems to be under some sort of mind control or something, yeah. doesn't he? I like to think of this film as Michael Bay's Tree of Life. It's a sort of a discursive overview of, of the history of the planet. With robots, <laughs> and that's the key. Yeah, with robots. I don't know. It, it looked. It looked. It, you know, it's. It it's looked the, exactly the same as all the other. They movies. made loads of money, so he's not going to yeah. mess with the formula. I noticed there's an exciting new font on the logo. That was a big change. Really? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. We sh- we shall see. We shall see. Uh, I really like the first movie. Less so the subsequent ones, but fingers crossed this might be a return to, to form. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by all mm. the historical stuff. We should mention this as, as well. People might be asking. Wondering why we're not talking about the Star Wars, the Last Jedi trailer, which will be out. Uh, uh, this is obviously being recorded before Star Wars Celebration really launches and before that opens and before we get the trailer. Uh, but you can assume that we've all lost our collective minds and we're going apeshit over it over the Easter weekend. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about it in the next week's podcast. It's going to be uh, very, very interesting. So we, but in the absence of that, we should talk about the one that you know is out there and got us really excited and, and from the looks of things on the internet got everybody excited yeah and that of course is Thor Ragnarok it's it's joyous isn't it come on it looks superb this is Taika Waititi in the director's chair bringing some of the sort of warm tone and humour that he we love so much in Hunt for the Wilder People and mm-hmm. what we do in the shadows and I don't know I have a feeling this could be the best Thor film yet yeah, I mean, in terms of the MCU, I don't think that's hugely difficult. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I like both Thor movies. Nick does not like Thor The Dark World in particular. Uh, and stop I know getting that's, Greenwich wrong. Stop getting Greenwich wrong, yeah, absolutely. Stop getting the, the tube system wrong. Yeah, I, I didn't love the last one at all. I, I quite like the first one, but I this this is really exciting. This is the, this is the Marvel film I'm kind of most excited about this yeah. year. Um it just looks really fun and it, uh, yeah there's a lovely little Skuck's Life uh, Hunt for the World of People Easter egg you can yeah. see that as graffiti behind four in one shot mm-hmm. it's got it's got goth Cape Blanchett looking yeah. amazing it's, it's got, got Goldblum with it's got Camp Jeff Goldblum looking even more amazing it's got uh, bald Carl Urban yeah it's with got machine guns. It's, it's got the Hulk yeah it's, it's got Loki just sort of Loki just doing something with knives hanging out yeah sort of flip, flipping knives the thing I've been saying about this movie for a long time is I don't know it just seems to be so much stuff to get into this film and I don't think this is even beginning to hint at the craziness in this movie we have no idea about what Loki's plan is what's going on how Kate Blanchett's character fits into things uh, but it's interesting you know, we see Mjolnir the, the enchanted hammer being destroyed at the beginning of it it has a nice bit of levity it's Ragnarok it's you know the Norse apocalypse it's meant to be you know death and destruction and, and grimness but it seems to have a real colour a real sci-fi feel more like a Star Wars movie uh, than anything else yeah, I'm perhaps predisposed to like it, but I thought it was very, very good. And of course, we get the uh, the, the glimpse of Thor and the Hulk at the end, which results in the funniest line in the trailer: "I know him; he's a friend from work." So that's that's good stuff. It is good stuff. Good font as well. A really good, good title. Font. Great font. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, fingers crossed that the next trailer doesn't <laughs> doesn't let the air out of the balloon. Uh, but I've, I've got a- comic sans. <laughs> God no. <laughs> 
I've got, I've got a good feeling about this one so yeah that's that's fantastic do you know when I was recently sitting in here getting excited about Triple Frontier previously Catherine oh, Bigelow yeah Mark Bowl JC Chandler was aboard yeah. they had cast members they found the frontiers they needed it was all go at Paramount I think I've jinxed it because it's all collapsed again yeah like has. a week later it has um, we had Tom Hardy had signed up and Channing Tatum was obviously already aboard and both of them have dropped out of the movie and Paramount has dropped out of the movie and it's now back in what you would describe as movie limbo. Yeah, I would say development hell, which is a real mm. shame because um, this is a this is about the the drug war, isn't it? This is the border between Paraguay, Argentina, and Brazil. Okay, and uh, and it, it it charts. I guess it's a bit of a zero dot. That, uh, <clears throat> I guess it's a bit of a Sicario thing. They're yeah. kind of getting down there and trying to sort out organised crime. So, so it sounds like a thrilling, exciting movie, and the location could maybe is particularly a, cool. Yeah, maybe be a little nebulous, perhaps. Maybe which is one of the reasons why some really talented directors have had problems zeroing in on that and getting it, getting it to the starting line. Uh, I feel sorry for J. C. Chandor, who yeah. is a fantastic director. I think all three of his movies are, are belters, and um, you know he he had difficulties on Deepwater Horizon mm. and he left that project when, when it was deep into prep mm. uh, and went on to this and now the same thing's happened again um, he's having a tough time at the yeah. moment he makes the sort of movies that are hard to get made I guess yeah you know, I guess the I guess more so. thinky type of Deepwater Horizon than the mm. Peter Berg version which was more but also you muscular. know the fact is even the, the more muscular version of that movie didn't do that well at the box office so it's kind of interesting. You know, we, we we keep referring to what Chris McQuarrie said in the live podcast about how he feels that Hollywood is beginning to move back in the direction of adult movies and adult thrillers and adult themes. But if they're not putting the bums on the seats, then it's going to be hard to to get them funded. Unless, of course, at the last minute, you know, this is if this remains with Paramount. Yeah. If this remains with them, then it remains with them. But if this is open to, to bidding, then this sounds like the sort of project that a Netflix or an Amazon would kill themselves to be involved with. But, you know, hey-ho, uh, we wish them all the best. Oh, we should also mention as well that, uh, talking about Catherine Bigelow, that the trailer for her new film Detroit was out this week and uh, looks very, very good about mm. the, the Detroit riots of 1967. It was a police raid that went horribly wrong. Great cast, Will Poulter, John Boyega. Looks very, very good. Looks very intense. So that's out in August. Uh, and yes, we should mention Cannes. We should finish off with Cannes because the Cannes lineup was announced today as we were about to come into the podcast booth. What are the highlights? What can we expect? Well, there's there's lots of big directors in the in the in the competition. We've got uh, new films from Todd Haynes, from Sofia Coppola, from uh, Noah Baumbach, Michael Haneke, who's a bit of a Cannes mainstay, is here with his new film Happy End, which probably won't have one. There's. Uh, New film from Bong Joon-ho, who directed Snowpiercer. There's the latest film from Lynn Ramsey, after We Need to Talk About Kevin. That's her first film in a few years. Uh, there's David Lynch is premiering the new Twin Peaks. Jane Campion. How much are they showing of that? I think, I think I saw two just episodes. the first two episodes. Two yeah. episodes. Um, but that's that's quite exciting, obviously. And uh, Top of the Lake from Jane Campion is also premiering, so a bit of TV. Which is something that the, the film festival has uh, avoided yeah. in the past. So that's sort of a sign of the times, I suppose. Yeah. It, 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 obviously, they're still doing it in a very, very calm way. They're showing Twin Peaks because it's David Lynch. Yes. Uh, they're showing Top of the Lake because it's Jane Campion. They wouldn't show, for example, Peter Kay's Car Share, which <laughs> is, I have to say, fantastic. If you're yeah. not watching it, go and watch it. Next year for uh, Celebrity Master Chef. Oh, my God. Peter Kay's Celebrity Master Chef. 
Now we're talking. It's really interesting, just going back to Twin Peaks, it's really interesting he's taking that to Cannes because famously uh, his, his movie that he did after the, the TV show back in the 90s, Fire Walk With Me, mm. he took to Cannes and everyone hated it and booed it and it just got a terrible, terrible reception. So I'm presuming that's not going to happen again. Well, <laughs> you never know with Cannes. I mean, they do love a good boo, don't they? The Cannes audiences <laughs> just like to boo for... They really for do. Boo's sake. The famous Van Sant Cassell story about about when Irreversible was screened at Cannes, and there was just somebody on the end of his road just booing <laughs> and shouting abuse at the screen, and he turned around and it was like his brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think if I ever made a film and reset a camp, bro, you would. I'd throw a shoe. <laughs> throw a shoe. <laughs> throw a shoe. Just one. Who throws a shoe? Mark Hermwood throws a shoe. <laughs> he he apparently shoe. doesn't. He he claims that he doesn't. He claims that story is apocryphal. He tells it in his book, doesn't, doesn't Does he? Okay. okay. Yeah, well, that's what, where do people get this? <laughs> oh, yes, there it is. Um, is his yeah. book called Apocryphal Things? <laughs> Things well, that definitely didn't listen, happen. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the, the good doctor doesn't uh, doesn't do that. But uh, hello to Jason Isaacs. A couple of things caught my eye. Yorgos Lanthimos' new film. Mm-hmm. The Lobster seems like a, a movie that has racist profile mm. and he's back with The Killing of a Sacred Deer so I think that's going to be one he's a big firm favourite with actors especially um, so that's going to be one to keep an eye on and Anokja you mentioned Bon Joon-ho's follow up um, to Snowpiercer is a Netflix release Yeah. so I'm not sure off the top of my head if that's the first time Netflix has had a sh- has had a movie in competition at feels Cannes, like it but I'm going to say it is Yeah. because I can't check I can check. I'm just not going to. So we're just going to go with it. Yeah. And everyone's going to be okay. In another sort of sign of the times, uh, Alejandro González Inarritu, the uh, the Revenant director, he's he's premiering a short film that's shot entirely in VR. It's the first VR what? film ever to debut at Cannes, which is a uh, maybe a sign of the future. Maybe all films in the future will be watched on headsets. I hope it's a bear attack. I knew it! <laughs> I just... I knew that was coming. I could see the expression on your face. But and no, genuinely, I, I, that'd be amazing. The Revenant VR experience. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be terrified, wouldn't no, you? No, it would be terrible. Oh, just, just wandering lo- around in a wood. Yeah. Locked in a room with Tom Hardy's character. That'd be even more terrifying. Uh, but uh, we've been corrected in real time. Nick just showed me a tweet. Uh, preemptively correcting us. Uh, Mark Hermode didn't throw a shoe, apparently. He wishes he had. <laughs> Yeah, he, he corrected yeah. our podcast <laughs> last yeah. time we said that. So, yeah. Yeah. so corrected yeah, by so fact checking live. Sorry, Mark. podcast. Yeah, so next year we'll make the same allegation about him as well. Why does Mark Kermode always throw his shoes? You always see him down the street just limping around because he's just throwing a shoe at a film. <laughs> That's why they had to close Blockbuster. I sat near him uh, during Smurfs: The Lost Village uh, a couple of weeks ago. He didn't throw a shoe during that, and I think that's the film that you would throw a shoe at. <laughs> yes, it's, it's you... shoe throwable. Yeah, he was lobbing Birkenstocks. All right, should we move on? That's enough for the movie news. Can seems very very exciting. Time now for a guest uh, making a welcome return to our screens and indeed to our pod booth this week. As she burst onto the scene a few years ago with eye catching turns in blockbusters like Quantum of Solace, Clash of the Titans, and Prince of Persia. Uh, since then, she's focused on diverse work in British indies like Byzantium, The Girl with All the Gifts, and stage work as well. And now Gemma Arterton for It Is She is back, back, back as the star of wartime drama Their Finest. And John here caught up with her this week yes this week uh, what did you talk about give the listeners a little idea we, we talked about the film Their Finest and some other <laughs> some other things do you remember what you talked about <laughs> it's so long ago it was, <laughs> it was two days hours ago, ago. Uh, okay. we talked about Inside Number 9 
um, oh, okay. which she guest yes, starred on. She did, Tom and, and Jerry. And uh, Quantum of Solace. Good. And she's starring in a new version of um, Watch It Down. Is she? Yes. Oh, this sounds good. She's voicing a rabbit in Watch It Down, so that's exciting. Wow. So I mean, John, John Berger's doing a voice in that as well. Yeah, it's a big big all-star cast. Um, but I mean, you're literally about to hear it, so I, I'm, I'm just spoiling. I'm not. I'm spoiling the interview. I'm not. I'm you're not. not. Yeah, I'm no. not. Yeah, but the listeners are. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, listen, you've been teed up. You've been teed up. Here we go. Gemma Arterton talking about all those things. Enjoy. We are delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Gemma Arterton. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank um, you. We are here to talk about their finest. Um, how would you How would you describe this movie? Would uh, Would you call it a wartime? feminist romantic comedy <laughs> behind the scenes drama I, can't, I, I don't think you can define it no um, it's not to be pigeonholed it's weird I, I think you know Lona Scherfig is the master of uh, sort of trans genre movies and um, this one is one of them I mean there are moments where all of these things are happening at the same time uh, especially the comedy and the tragedy Um which is what makes it really special, I think. It's a, an amazing time for cinema as well. I mean, this is a time, I think they say, they say in the film, like 30 million people a week are going to see Which films. is extraordinary. If you think about nowadays, I guess it's, it's, it's just a different world we live in. But back then, um, cinema was really the only form of, apart from radio, obviously, communication. And, and it was like a real... It, it really brought people together. Um, propaganda movies were being churned out at a hugely uh, rapid rate, and actually, they were being financed by the government. And they and it they were something that the, the people needed. It was a time when cinema was sort of essential hmm. in a, in a way that was is not the same as today. People wanted to see films because it gave them hope and it gave them a reason to continue and it also gave them something to relate to um one of the early films the, the opening shot actually is of a film that we found in an in the bfi archive which is a film that was uh mocked by the the general public at the time because it was so ridiculous it was uh, all these women in munitions factories saying come on girls a million bullets by morning let's do it for our boys and all the women in these cinema just threw their and sh they shouted and they booed at it and they hated it because it wasn't real to the and so there was this movement during uh during the blit during the war of actually cinema having to change and become something that really spoke to the people and that was very truthful and even with the kind of sm relatively small amount of propaganda movies of that time that I've seen you really see a difference in the the, the way that the performances are uh, portrayed the style of acting which becomes much more naturalistic um, even just the things that they're talking about in these scenes are about everyday life um, uh, really it's sort of where the kitchen sink drama originated mm. um, because that's what people needed at that time this is a film within a film I'm always interested in films like this is it strange to have sort of two sets of film crews on sets <laughs> like you've got a gaffer and a, a pretend gaffer yeah it was really funny actually because we had you know there was every, there was everyone there was the first AD and then we had you know focus pull and cameraman and um, and the, and this we had a cinema the DP the cinematographer 
and it was really funny because you had the real guy who was uh, Sebastian, the, D- the the DP, who was sort of saying, "Well, no, you wouldn't do that." With the, <laughs> right. You know, you, yeah. you would you would walk around and you'd have your little eye thing, and you know, whatever. But <laughs> yeah, it was quite funny. I my favourite scenes to shoot were definitely the ones of us on set. Mm. I just remember this day. It's when. Um, Jake Lacey's character does that scene where he goes, don't be a fool, Johnny, there's a sniper out there. And we were all on set, all of the crew, all of the actors, all of the crew within the crew. And, you know, and it was, and we, you see them say, take one, da, 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 and measuring up. And, mm-hmm. and we all knew what we were doing because <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. You know, it was the first time, I guess, for all of us that we really were confident that we were actually historically right <laughs> and right. doing the right things. It's quite interesting being the writer on set because mm. um, Sam and I, you know, had we 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 realized how awful actors are <laughs> to writers you know they come on set they change the lines they they don't say what was on what was written and yeah i, I definitely uh, that was interesting for me was there, was there a few parallels to real life from your experience then i mean have have there been like uh, notes from up high I mean maybe not from the government but, but, <laughs> yeah. but from studios that oh, sort of yeah. thing yeah I, I guess so yeah I mean there's always there's always somebody interfering and coming in and whispering into somebody's right. ear and um, and all of that and you see the poor writers kind of you know <laughs> having a crisis yeah. I, I, I've got quite a lot of friends that are, are film writers and they, and they find it really difficult being on film set yeah um some of them find it really, really interesting, but I think it can, you know, a couple of days isn't enough because it must be quite hard for them because it comes out of their mind and then, you know, it's all being made. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, I've always been such a, res- so respectful of scripts. I think it's because I come from the theatre where the script is God, you know, mm. you do not mess with the script and uh, you don't even change a comma or a full stop you know it's it's it is it what it is but in film it's always changing you know scripts will change on the day and lines yeah. will change and you know it's definitely a different kind of attitude but i i'm always very um i like to think i'm quite respectful of the script so <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um you you spend a lot of time opposite bill nye in this movie who you obviously work with on uh, the boat that rocked um What's it like sparring with someone like that? I mean, as an actor, what what sort of acting partner is Bill? Oh, he's just joy. I mean, he gives you like gems, little nuggets, and you just have to react. Mm. And um, I remember my my first scene with Bill really was the one where I he signs the script and and I say, oh, I wrote the script. I I didn't want an autograph, <laughs> you know that one. And uh, he was so pompous in the scene. It was just so easy to to feel sort of uh, flustered, and yes. you know he's. But in real life, he's he really is exactly Bill Nye. You know, he is a gentleman, and he's very very generous, and doesn't have a big ego. And he he, uh, I think he's a genius with comedy. I mean. There is that really lovely scene at the end, which wasn't in the original script, and we we re- we added it in a reshoot of. We have a scene together where uh, I'm upset, and and he kind of tells me about what to, how how to continue, and and he has this amazing moment of being incredibly touching, and then within an on a sixpence, he's so funny, mm. and that really is sort of his genius is to do to be able to play comedy and drama at the same time it's really really rare mm. um so such a joy to watch and work with 
It does seem like the sort of role that only he could play. It seems like a very Bill Nye sort <laughs> of role. You know, it's really funny, though, because at the read-through, he couldn't be there. So Richard E. Grant, who's oh, also right. in the film, read his part, and he was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I think Richard E. Grant, is he could have done that part, yeah. to be honest. But he's really, really brilliant in his role as well. And I remember on set, uh, Richard is Richard's a friend of mine anyway, and... He really is one of the funniest people I've ever met. He just, he doesn't have to do anything and, and he's funny. He just has this sort of dour face and uh, and he makes you laugh. But yeah, um, Bill really makes it really his own. Mm. And um, I think he has a real skill for spotting roles, which he can kind of do something special with, you yeah. know. Um, and, he, and he really did. And, and also I think Lona saw how brilliant he was and, um, and gave him more opportunity to, to riff and play. Yeah. So. Um, I was sort of looking back over your CV at, at what you've done. You've had some amazing sort of blockbuster and indie roles, but there was one that, that really stood out was you guest starred in an episode of Inside Number Nine. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, it's one of the most inventive and original TV shows on at, at the moment yeah. I mean what was that experience like for you I was so intimidated really because I'm big fans of the two of them yeah and uh, they're also just they wrote it and so I remember I'm, I wanted to do it because I, I just knew how brilliant it was and you know when you read something and just think I don't you have to do it you mm. know and uh, we turned up on set and and it was the first sort of thing I'd done which was like a off beat comedy dark comedy actually um and uh and I, I i remember being really really nervous but they they really i mean i loved that first series of inside number nine mm-hmm. i mean it, especially the one where it's all a silent film because they, oh, they so it's good. just genius yeah. and yeah. uh i think they're really talented the two the two of them each episode is sort of like a one-act play isn't it? it is and it's incredibly i mean they, they're such excellent writers mm. and I think with anything that specific tonally you really have to respect what they wrote mm. and, the, and exactly and I remember there was one word that I kept getting wrong you know that my pronunciation was and then I kept getting confused thinking what is it in the end you know and I remember having a little mini crisis thinking I'm letting them down <laughs> but um yeah, they, they, it is like a mini play. You, they rehearse it. You have time to rehearse it with them. Um, it's very specific. Right. Uh, and it was interesting for me because I, because it was the first time I'd done anything like that to see how you, how it, how it is done, you know. Mm. <laughs> and it's been nearly a decade since you were in uh, Quantum of Solace. Um, which is, you know, quite a different sort of experience from their finest, I guess. What's, yeah. what, looking back, what's your memories of that? I read somewhere that your first day was getting covered in oil. Um, that wasn't the first that day, the first but, day. I, you know, I was only on that, for, not for that long, actually. Yeah. I just had really, it feels like ages ago, but I had such a good time. I was so young and yeah. suddenly I was being, I was in, you know, Panama and <laughs> and and meeting all these people and and I just thought it was great. I just had a real trip. Um, I didn't really know what was going on, to be honest. I was just sort of going along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, but that that role won you uh, 
a Best Newcomer Award at the Empire Awards. Yes, it did. Um, what's your memories of that night? Because, I mean, the, the Empire Awards have, has a bit of a reputation of being a bit of a wild... A bit boozy. A bit boozy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a bit boozy. Yeah. I think I remember having a whiskey before I went on yes. stage to collect my prize. <laughs> I don't even drink whiskey. It's like, why was I drinking whiskey? I think they might have been the sponsor. It you was know. just like, here, have a whiskey. And yeah. all I remember is going up and saying something really non, not very funny. Um, and and about me not falling over somehow miraculously, which is not funny at all. And uh, but yeah, it was. It, I, I you know I think back on at that time, and I really didn't understand the significance of all of this stuff. I was I was just doing it. You know, even the Empire Awards, I didn't realize how big they were. Mm. And I think it comes from again. I don't. I didn't grow up watching films. I didn't grow up reading film magazines or. I just don't, it's, it was all new to me then. It really yeah. was. I, I'd left drama school six months before where I had just been doing theatre and, and, the, and then the films that I was watching were, you know, weird and indie foreign movies. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was all the new world to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think I'm almost out of time, but um, next up you've got Watership Down, a new version of Watership yeah. Down for BBC. Yeah. Are you looking to traumatise a new generation of children? Yes. Is that the plan? That's the plan. Yeah. No, um, it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 we've, it looks like it's going to be beautiful. The script is fantastic. Um, we had the blessing of the writer and um, and the the cast are, you know, top notch. It's everyone from James McAvoy, mm. Nick Hole, Anne-Marie Duff, um, Olivia Coleman, Ben Kingsley. Just brilliant cast. Yeah. And um, I think it's going to be, I think for the new generation of kids, you know, when I was reading it, I thought, wow, this is such a a relevant uh, topic and you can it's you know I, I remember seeing it when I was a kid and just being kind of horrified yeah. <laughs> but actually it's it's a really important story to tell mm. um, um, so yeah it will be ready I think for, for Christmas uh, a jovial Christmas uh, <laughs> viewing <laughs> yeah I remember watching the original and I refused to go to my garden for like two weeks because yes. I was terrified of the rabbit yeah 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 foaming so, and they, they really foam yeah. and they have like bloodshot eyes don't they exactly you know? well we look forward to that but Gemma Arden thank you so much for oh, the time oh thank you thank you that was Gemma Arden she's great fun isn't she she's lovely yeah she's awesome she's my finest <laughs> that's just that's sounding creepy alright okay uh, it's time for this week's reviews and our finest is out next week in the 21st so we're going to start this week's reviews with a big blockbuster on the block Fast and Furious 8 not sadly in this country the fate of the furious but Fast and Furious 8 is its title uh, John you take this one yes Fast and Furious 8 where do you begin where, where do I begin I mean my goodness the 8th film in a franchise is not usually I, I, how many 8th films have there been where you think this is the best one like this is I mean this is a bizarre franchise now it started off as just a you know a small film about car illegal car racing and it's just morphed into this mega franchise with stunts and explosions and about a hundred characters and twists and turns. It's it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And the bonkers a thon doesn't really stop for for the eighth edition. So as we join them, uh, Dominic Toretto, Vin Diesel, and his uh, lovely new wife Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, they're on honeymoon in Cuba. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing what all couples on honeymoon do. They they <laughs> street races, <laughs> illegal street racing with with souped up with nitrous oxide, um, and then Toretto bumps into Cipher. <gasps> A terrorist, I believe that's her, her birth name, Cypher, yeah. played by Charlize Theron, um, who blackmails him into betraying his family. His family! You can't go against family. Family. Can't do it. Do they say family a lot in this film? I, Not at first, weirdly right, enough. Okay. It's surprising how, yeah, how little family is, yeah. is said, but I mean, there it's is... there. Every sentence is... I mean, I wasn't counting, but it didn't seem to me in the first 20 minutes or so the family was being said a lot. And then it gets said... A lot. It's more. It's more subtext, though. There's a lot of family there's, subtext. There's no subtext. There's so in the much Fast and Furious movies. So much family subtext here. There's a sub, <laughs> but there's no text. There's 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 very little text. Yes. Right. Uh, so so basically, Toretto, Toretto turns. Toretto is basically the bad guy. Oh. Or is he? <laughs> no, he's not. No, no, he's he's not the bad guy. But he's he's kind of blackmailed, and so this leads to various you know absurd stunts um and set pieces there's a huge set piece in new york where um cypher basically takes control of all of the cars mm-hmm. using um computers or yeah. something I'm, I, it's not really explained how she does and then it all ends up in some secret military base in russia or greenland or something somewhere it's hard to tell it's i mean <laughs> i don't I, to tell. a lot of the time it's really hard to know what the hell is going on because it's 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 insane this movie it's so insane and with all of these movies there's a really strange thing your your brain does where you think is this shit like it, it's a re- it really walks the, the tightrope of being terrible and fantastic there's something genuinely entertaining and enjoyable about watching The Rock pick up a torpedo with his bare hands <laughs> and throw it at a convoy yeah. of moving cars and, and the whole thing explodes. I love the fact that the trailer had him, it was like a three minute trailer and it had The Rock picking up two explosive objects that yes. had been thrown at him and <laughs> flinging them at someone else just just twice. And yeah. I can only imagine how many times he does it in the, the finished film. It, mm. It's it's unreal and you know there's some great sort of uh, Manly banter between the Rock and the Staith, which you know really needs to be seen to be believed. What we should say here is that the Staith is back in this movie as Deckard Shaw, who was the big bad of the last movie, Fast and Furious Seven. Uh, but uh, <laughs> he's back this time, and they—it's uh, amazing. You can almost hear the writer Chris Morgan furiously scribbling on post-it notes trying to retcon somehow a situation where Jason Statham's character, who killed, let's not forget. The best character in the franchise, yeah. Han Solo, played by uh, uh, Sang. Uh, what's his name? Sung. Ah, do it again. Played by Sung Kang, killed him at the end of Fast and Furious Six. Evil bugger in evil, you know, in Fast and Furious Seven, trying to kill them all. Fast and Furious Seven, he destroys a hospital. <laughs> yeah. he, expl- he literally like murders loads of nurses and doctors just so he can visit his brother. Yeah, there is a, there is a strong sense with this franchise that they are just making this up. You know, just yeah. literally making up because they retrofitted <laughs> Statham into uh, the like film three, right? And now they're retrofitting Charlize Theron into all the films. Charlize Theron is, is basically like uh, Christoph Waltz in Inspector. She's like, it was me. All along, Toretto. the architect of your car-based yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do love that there's an interesting fact about this series, that they come up with the stories sitting by Vin Diesel's swimming pool. And it's Vin Diesel <laughs> and Chris Morgan sitting there drinking Coronas, presumably. And just coming up with utter rubbish. But I, it's kind of, these films for me are kind of the Roger Moore Bond films. They're kind of taken over from that, just kind of completely ludicrous. Yeah. Or ludicrous, 
literally ludicrous. <laughs> mm. um, but just fun in the way that the Bond films now are quite sort of serious and grim and gritty. Yeah. I love that there's a series of action films that's this silly. Yes. Yeah. That's that's that's, that's the thing about it. You know, it's you're, you're saying, are these films a bit shit? And yes, they are a bit shit, but they're also a bit awesome at the same time. Yes. And the, uh, the 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 turning point for me with this franchise was with Fast Five, which is still one of the greatest experiences I've had in the cinema for in the, in the last few years. Just just so much fun. I had my thunderwear on, and I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and I think that the franchise has gone ever over the top and ever more ridiculous with each installment and an attempt to maybe hit that sweet spot that they hit with Fast Five which brought the rock in and everything was something about biceps and one-liners and ludicrous heists rather than uh, the street races and uh, and this sort of pumped up adrenalized version Fast Six was a lot of fun but not as good as Fast Five Fast Seven was was again probably not as good as uh, as Fast Six but it had that amazing bus chase come fight come car chase in Azerbaijan which was really fantastic and this one for me feels a little bit like the the law of diminishing returns is really kicking in now there's a there's a sense of of flatness about the movie the new director F. Gary Gray who's taken over from Justin Lin who did the uh, 3, 4, 5 and 6 and then James Wan who did 7 and I wonder F. Gary Gray whose movies are generally <coughs> quite serious um, I wonder if he has a lightness of touch. There's a lot of exposition in this movie, and I felt that it was largely... It felt like NCIS. It felt like people were standing around screens, watching screens, and each had a line of dialogue, um, and they were a little bit interminable and just a little bit stagey. There was a uh, few too many scenes of people typing at computers, and yeah. with computers with screens the size of rooms, you know, that, that had sort of CGI holograms. Yeah. Um, and I, I did wonder that there was maybe lacking the sort of big signature stunt. You know, like the last movie had cars literally falling out of the sky, and cars driving from one skyscraper to another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's not even the big stunt from that. that no, I mean, I, I felt like the big, big sort of set pieces weren't quite as, as epic yeah. as previous movies. I, I, I kind of agree, I, I agree with that. But, I, you know, I, I still enjoyed it and it still got a sense of ridiculousness. I think the, the Dom Toretto storyline is really quite morose and serious and a bit mm. dark and weird and you, it doesn't quite mesh with the rest of the movie. Although fans, uh, people who are tracking the apparent real-life feud between The Rock and Finn Diesel will be, del- will be intrigued to know uh, that they very rarely share a screen in this movie, almost as if they were being kept apart. Who knows? Almost as if one of them was a hashtag candy ass. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say the MVP in this movie, The Rock, is, is great, but we know he's great. Uh, Kurt Russell is having the time of his life as Basil Exposition 2.0. But um, the, the MVP of this movie is The State. Uh, because the movie has retconned furiously to try and make him a good guy he gets a lot of stuff to do and he does it with a sense of fun and a sense of swagger that Is we don't some get. of that stuff involve rebuilding a hospital it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> it's, it, but honestly it's, it's fantastic how they uh, how they retcon him in uh, but um, this series has to go to space right I mean it's, <laughs> you would think. it's been talked about a lot but it has to it's got to have its own Moonraker it feels like this franchise and the Mission Impossible franchise are doing what the U- US and Russia and Soviet Union did in the sort of 50s and 60s. Some sort of space race going on. Because they have reached the limits of the sort of Earth's stratosphere of how much nuts they can go. But the Mission to- Impossible movies at least come from a position of, oh, here's Ethan Hunt, the world's greatest spy, and he's got all these incredible <laughs> gadgets, and he can do this thing with you. He's got this mask, and he can infiltrate anywhere. And he's got this wonderful skill set. Box. Yeah. Basically, the heroes of this movie are a bunch of mechanics who've just gone rogue. Yeah. And 
they've got this amazing skill set. It's know. quick fit the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a there's a scene where where, where <laughs> this government agent turns up at the rocks uh, like soccer, his daughter's soccer game, and he's like, "You need to put together a team." And he's like, "Yeah, I know the team." And it's like these aren't these aren't government agents. These are guys who just drive cars really fast. Yeah. It's like a car based mission. And they've only recently started doing heists. <laughs> yeah, but they're doing stuff that would take years of training. Dom Toretto is now this unbeatable you know just amazing hero who cannot lose at anything and he's great at everything and it's 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 quite fun to watch that, that unfold but the state is amazing state's fantastic MVP by, by a long long way and he's got the sort of sense of fun and the sense of swagger in this movie that you just wish he had in all those wild card or mechanic resurrection and if you know if he if if, if he was having this much fun in those movies he'd be a much 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 bigger star we should also uh, put a quick shout out to Helen Mirren who plays his his, his mum as a sort of East End matriarch, like a sort of Peggy Mitchell type, and uh, it, she only has about five minutes on screen, but she, she's glorious. Absolutely. So three stars, three stars. It's probably the most three-star film in the history of mankind, uh, but it's got a lot of got a lot of good stuff going for it. If you like this sort of thing, if you don't, you will hate every second. How sweaty is the, is the Rock? I don't think there's a scene where he's not sweaty, to be honest. I think even in an air-conditioned room, there is there are beads on his forehead. Yeah, you want you want to stand, <laughs> you want to stand upwind. It is amazing. <laughs> I, I was on set of Fast and Furious Six. It was a nighttime scene being shot here in England, and it was freezing. But they were just, and it was a, a, a scene with dialogue in an underground car park and they were like spraying sweat onto him it's like why, why is he this sweaty he doesn't need yeah it. Mr Johnson has his own personal sprayer it's, uh, it's amazing travels with him at all times yeah three stars then for Fast and Furious 8 uh, and next up is Park Chan-wook's latest movie La Hand Maiden Nicholas hello so yeah this is the great Park Chan-wook um, I think he's Tarantino's favourite director um, he's He's an incredible guy who who creates these very dark, twisted stories. A lot of the time, there's revenge involved. Um, so for this one, he's adapting a, a book by a Welsh writer called Sarah Waters, which is called Fingersmith, which is set in Victorian era, era Britain, um, and he's transplanted it to Korea. And uh, it's it's a lot more twisted than the book is. Uh, it's the basic plot. It's it's quite labyrinthine the plot, but ba- the basic setup is that um, there is a, a young lady who is conspiring with this guy to... Uh, so she is going to become this rich lady's um, maid, and basically between the two of them, they're going to drive her mad, and then when she's in an asylum, they're going to take her money. And there is it's it's done as a sort of three-act thing where it says act one, act two, act three. And, um, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to kind of ruin where it goes, but it's it's very kind of entertaining it's also got this real sort of ornate intricate sense of period as well it's set in the 30s in Korea and uh, some of the characters are Japanese and there's a kind of Korea is occupied by the Japanese so there's that sort of political subtext it's a really interesting adaptation of taking the material from the book which as Nick says is set in sort of Victorian England um, and putting it somewhere else in a really effective way and um, it's sort of one where you don't want to give too much away about kind of how it unfolds because it's full of it's full of twists and turns. Um, it's also, let's not be around the bush, quite sexy. Mm-hmm. This film is quite... Er- I don't like to use this word too often, but it's quite erotic. There's a, bath- um, there's a bathtub scene involving a lollipop. 
Is there, yeah. just, just put that out there. A okay. bit of amateur dentistry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which Actually, is, which is you know contains no nudity, but was is maybe the most sexual uh, scene in the whole movie. Yes, you could argue. It, it's a very. I mean, it's an eighteen, so yes. it's it really does go to those places. And uh, Sarah Waters has described it as sort of the, the novelist has described it as sort of almost pornographic, but I mean not in a critical way. But it's what, just that Park Chan-wook is not a guy that holds back and yes. he doesn't hold back in any aspect of the story it's full of gothic intrigue it's full of sexual undercurrents it's full of weirdness it's got an octopus which is something you'd expect from this filmmaker <laughs> and um, I just even Fast really 8 doesn't terrific. have an octopus <laughs> it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a literal octopus in this uh, in this one unlike Old Boy yeah um, it's more of a drawing of an octopus that's getting up to some some pretty dirty business for an octo- octopus yes but the, uh, the, I mean, the sex scenes are extremely explicit, but I'm, but they they do feel very integral to the plot. And what's interesting is that there's one which you sort of see more than once, and the second time you see it, it means something completely different. And this is this is the sort of film that I can't wait to see again because you you will go in knowing something quite different the mm. characters are all not what they quite appear to begin with there's a lot of scheming there's a lot of double so, crossing there's a lot of double crossing triple crossing Trip, oh, quadruple crossing I would say almost the octopus may not be what he seems um, <laughs> I really enjoyed um, you know, all the performances I thought were, were really good um, I, I enjoyed Ha Jong Woo as this count who is just like the scummiest character of the year surely it's <laughs> a horrible man with black leather gloves and mm. he's just super creepy um but yeah the two uh, the two female leads both both very very good um he has a um a club of equally seedy old blokes who come out and listen to her reading out pornography doesn't he and that's sort of kind of the weird it's a film that keeps opening these weird chambers that you some of them you don't want to spend too much time in but it's a very creepy book club yeah it's super <laughs> yeah it's Richard and Judy's super creepy book club <laughs> <laughs> yeah it did it, it came, it, it's been actually been a pretty big hit it's done uh, better than any of Park Chan-wook's other films in America in South Korea it was it was huge and made more money than X-Men Apocalypse um, so it's it's kind of been this, this un- unlikely crossover hit but I definitely recommend it well, 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 there we go. Five stars for The Handmaiden. Uh, so if you don't fancy watching The Rock and The Stath and lots of cars being smashed up, go and see The Handmaiden. But, you know... Both erotic in their own ways. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Five stars. Or if you're an octopus, eight stars. Last but not least, we uh, move on to the sense of an ending. Phil. Hi. Hey. Yeah. It's the third Booker Prize nominated adaptation of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and this one um, actually won the Booker Prize, Julian Barnes's novel, um, yeah. I think in about four, four, four or five years ago. And it's a story about um, a guy looking back on his life effectively and his younger years in particular. He's played by Jim Broadbent as an older man, Tony Webster. Um, and uh, he runs a photo shop and potters around. He's got a daughter who's having a baby and uh, an ex-wife who he's still amicable with. And uh, he's gift, he's bequeathed uh, uh, some documents, basically, by an old friend. And these documents um, are in the possession of the old friend's daughter, who is someone that he used to go out with back in his school days. So the film carries across these two timelines. It goes back in time. Billy Howe plays the younger version of Tony, and, and you see him with uh, with a, with a um, a friend of his who. Um, he ends up losing to this girl and uh, he, he kind of 
it's a, it's a story that probably works better in the book because it's by definition about the unreliable narrator and in 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 this movie you're never quite sure exactly what his memories are and what he's misremembering and uh jim broadman does a great job as this sort of really curmudgeonly cranky guy he's really unlikable um which we talk about often in the podcast does it matter if your main protagonist is Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really unlikable yep. but this is a guy who's kind of he's semi-retired and he seems to have learnt nothing from any of his experiences in life and he's bulldozing around in pursuit of this diary digging up other people's skeletons as well as his own um, and I think it's a great role for Jim Broadbent he brings likability to even the most kind of unsympathetic mm. characters and he does it again here um, it's directed by Ritesh Batra and I, since I watched this I went away and watched his previous film The Lunchbox which is an Indian sort of romantic comedy set around a sort of mistaken identity around a lunchbox which I really enjoyed and it, and it was kind of a breakout hit for him um, this does a good job of kind of getting a sense of London and um, some dubious dubious tube work in this I think there's one bit where they go from the South Bank to the Bank to Highgate which is just no one's idea is Thor driving the, uh, the tube route. Ethan Hunt would pick him up on that that's dreadful <laughs> Um, we gave it three stars. You know, it's not an, it's not a, it's not by any means a bad adaptation. I just felt that it's probably one that works better written down, just by def, by, by definition of of, mm. of the the themes involved. And uh, Jim Broadbent does good work. Um, yeah. it, it reminded me very much of a film I really like, The Go Between, um, the Joseph Lucy adaptation of L. P. Hartley's book, which also reminds me of Atonement or vice versa. Joe Wright's adaptation of Ian McEwan's book. They're both kind of kept to tackle the same themes. So I would watch those first and then this. As a primer for this one. Definitely watch the go-between. I'm down. sure a lot of people listening have seen Atonement, but the go-between, yeah. Atonement has the same sorts of ideas. You know, an, an older, a person in their older years looking back uh, half correctly and half imaginingly. That's a word. It's still a word. That is now. a word. It's in, it's they're younger, in, you know, the, the mistakes they made and the things that they did. That's a Booker Prize winning word. And you know what? You can't beat a bit of broadband, which is difficult to say, but I managed it. And it's also, I believe, the film's tagline. You can't beat a bit of broadband. You can't be, that should be, shouldn't it? Can't beat a bit of broadband. Should be every film's tagline. There uh, we go. Three stars, which we always say in the podcast is, of course, a recommendation for the sense of an ending. And it's time to make sense of our own ending because that is it for this week's Empire Podcast brought to you by Lewis Mustard Chaps at mustard.co.uk. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... Oscar-winning actor <gasps> Jeffrey Rush. No. Yeah. And uh? quite possibly, because uh. it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Warren Beatty. Whoa. Oh. Wow. I know. What happens if he doesn't come? Then just Jeffrey Rush. Oh yeah. You don't want someone to pretend to be Warren Beatty. That would be amazing. How good is your Warren Beatty impression? Not good. The best foreign <laughs> film <laughs> goes to. When it comes to Phil's Warren Beatty impression, rules do not apply. <laughs> There's oh, been wow. a mistake. Can we just There's ask him a about mistake. Dick Tracy? We'll love Dick Tracy. Yeah. Dick Tracy needs to be reappraised. It does. Potentially. <laughs> Have you seen it recently? No. Okay. God, no. Yeah. I love Dick Tracy too, but one time I nearly cut myself with the pencil. Anyway, that's it from us for another week. Have a happy Easter, everybody. Uh, whether or not you believe in benevolent bunnies bringing you chocolate eggs or not, uh, until we meet again, it is goodbye from John. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Phil. Au revoir. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to get some sleep. I ordered some on Amazon. It should have arrived by now. See you next week. Bye.